Good morning. How are we doing? Doing well? Good, good. It is good to be here today with you um, as we continue in bringing into our Exodus series. We've been journeying through this great book, and in, in the process, we've seen God who is showing up, and he is making himself known to his people. This book, this story of Exodus is about God. It's his story, and we see him being a God who makes himself known and makes a way of salvation for his people, bringing them out of slavery there in Egypt, bringing them to the Red Sea, providing a way for them to journey to a land that he has promised them. And not only that, he is a God who has shown up to prove that he is greater than any other God. All of the false gods in Egypt that they had worshipped, he has proved that he is greater, that he is worthy of worship. And today, as we come to this close of this study, we look at Exodus chapter 33, and we will see that this God who is making himself known is also a God who is rich in mercy for his people. We're going to unpack that and what that looks like today. I'm going to invite a couple of ladies to come and to read for us that are serving with us this week. They're going to, you can use these two microphones here. Um, they're going to read Exodus chapter uh, 33, verses 12 through 33. And um, if you want to grab a, anybody wants to grab a, a church Bible, it's on page 77, if you want to follow along with us as we study uh, today. But let us pray before they read, and then we will come to God's word. Lord, we thank you for this moment that we get to step into, that we get to hear from you. I pray that in this moment you would quiet all other voices that fight for our attention, even voices that we may have within ourselves, that different things that we are focused on even this morning. Let us focus on you. Let us hear from you. Let us listen and let us obey. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses said to the Lord, look, you have told me, lead these people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor with me. Now, if I have indeed found favor with you, please teach me your ways, and I will know you, so that I may find favor with you. Now consider that this nation is your people. And he replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favor with me, and I know you by name. And then Moses said, please let me see your glory. He said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put up in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During this time of year, we um, see a lot of people, young people dressed in gowns, wearing hats, funny hats, and wearing tassels. This is the time of year for graduation, isn't it? Um, where we start to see 
high schoolers move on to college, college students move on, I guess, to the real world. And um, I don't know about you, but for me, when I think back to my graduation, it was also a time of sadness as I thought about a new season of life. Now, I, I found recently some old yearbook pictures, so I have a picture here of me at graduation. Um, I don't look sad, but there I am, um, kind of goofing it up a little bit in, my, in this photo, but I don't look sad, but for me, I think about that evening, I, I thought about moving on from high school and then to college. What it meant for me was that I was saying goodbye to a lot of friends that I knew. I, I was one of those weird people that actually enjoyed high school. Um, I loved it, and uh, I, I just... I felt like I was letting go of a place that was so dear to me, friendships that were so dear to me. And so while I had a big cheesy smile on at graduation, inside I was a little bit sad, more than sad. I was, I was upset about the next stage of life for me. As we come to this text today, we see something very similar. God has said to his people that he's going to be faithful to his promise to them. He's a faithful God, always will be, always has been. He's going to make them a great nation. He's going to bring them to the promised land. But we see here in Exodus chapter 33 that he's not going to be there with them. He's going to get them there, but he says, I'm not going to be there with you. One commentator says that dinner is still arranged, but God has canceled his reservation. And as the people hear this, they are saddened. This new stage of life that they get to walk into, this new beginning, this new land that has been promised to them, the God that has led them, that has made himself known to them, that has called them out to be a holy people like he is holy, that has set them apart. This God is going to get them to the promised land and then he is not going to be there with them. This is a sad moment. Exodus chapter 33 Verses 1 through 4, the Lord spoke to Moses, go up from here, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt to the land I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your offspring, and I will send an angel, an angel ahead of you, not him, but an angel, and the angel will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites. Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, all the ites, right? Verse 3, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. This is a rich land that they have been waiting for, all that they've ever wanted, all of the riches of life, the milk, the honey, all of it is there waiting for them. But I will not go up with you. You get it all, all the good stuff in life. The promised land is theirs. It's right there in front of them. God is leading them to it, but he's not going to go and be with them there. Why? Because you are a stiff-necked people. Otherwise, I might destroy you on the way. And when the people heard this, this very bad news, they mourned and didn't put on their jewelry This was not something to celebrate. This was a sad moment. The one who has made himself known to his people isn't going into the promised land with them. It's a provocative question, but I like it. If you were to get all of the good stuff of heaven, all of your friends, all of your family, 
Everybody's there. You get all the things you like. You got the milk. You got the honey. You got the amazing golf courses if you're into that. You got the Broadway shows, like the best ones are there. Whatever it is that you are into, if you could have all of that in heaven, but God's not there, would you take the deal? It's a provocative question. It's somewhat maybe inappropriate because we know that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. So you can't have all that without having God of the heaven, right? But do we see God as the prize? Or is it the land? These people, they understood, if you give us all of this that we have wanted, our own land, our own place, a great people, a great nation that you make us, but then you don't go with us. This is bad news. This is bad news. Nothing to celebrate. So why is God saying this? Exodus chapter 32, verses 15 through 20. Moses has been on top of Mount Sinai. He has received the Ten Commandments. He has received this covenant between God and Israel. He's talked with God himself. And God, during this conversation, says that down below the mountain, at the foot of Mount Sinai, the people are there, and they have made this golden calf. They've made this idol, and they begin to worship it. God reveals that to Moses. So Moses steps down from the mountain in verse 15. He went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. And they were inscribed on both sides, inscribed front and back. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was God's writing, engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua, who was there waiting for Moses, he was helping Moses in this moment, when Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a sound of war in the camp. I hear something far off, and it sounds like the sound of war. But Moses replied, no, that's not what it is. He's been clued in. God has already told him what's going on. It's not the sound of a victory cry. This isn't them singing a song that they sang in Exodus 15 when, when God conquered Pharaoh and all of the Egyptians. It's not a sound of victory that they are singing. It's not the sound of a cry of defeat either. This really isn't even about war, not about victory, not about defeat. I do hear singing. I hear the sound of singing. And as he approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses became enraged and threw the tablets out of his hands, smashing them at the base of the mountain. He took the calf they had made. He burned it up ground it to powder. He scattered the powder over the surface of the water and forced the Israelites to drink the water. There is singing going on. But this song is a song of old. This song is a song of an old way of life. This song is a song of how they used to live in Egypt when they worshipped many gods. And they lived in a polytheistic, synchronistic culture, trying to fit it all together. They, in this moment, had constructed a golden calf, a bull that was now an idol that they worshipped, saying, this is the God 
that has brought us out of Egypt into this land. They have broken the first two commandments that God had given to them in this covenant that he just made with Israel, not to worship any other God and not to make an idol. They had broken both of them at least, if not a few more, during this celebration, during this party, during this song that they were singing about this golden calf. This is a song of sin, breaking God's ways. God's commandments. This is a celebration of an old way of life, an old way of living. This is a celebration of sin, of worshiping falsely. And if we're to understand God's mercy in this passage and to understand what God is doing and where he is taking his people and what this is all about, we've got to be honest about sin for a moment. They're not just sinning. They're not just worshiping falsely because they're bored or they got to figure out something to do. They're doing it because they, they like it. It's enjoyable. It gives them some version of happiness. And if we were honest for a moment about sin, we do it because we enjoy it. There's at least some type of satisfaction that occurs when we sin, or at least for most of our sins. There's some type of happiness that we, we find in the beginning of the sin, right? If I could just tell that person off, tell them what I'm thinking, just unleash all of my anger, right? I feel so vindicated, so satisfied in that moment. There is some level of contentment that comes when we sin, some level of satisfaction, some level of happiness, some level of enjoyment. These people are singing a song. They're celebrating. They're enjoying this moment because they have taken their eyes off of God and they put them upon this idol, this golden calf. Moses is furious, and this isn't just a picture of his rage, although it is. He takes these two tablets and he throws them at the foot of the mountain. This is also symbolic. In this moment, we see that the covenant that God had made with his people to be a holy people, to follow his commandments, it has been broken. It just shatters on the foot of the mountain. The relationship that these people have with God in this covenant has been broken, has been shattered before the foot of this mountain. Moses then takes this golden calf and and makes this crazy powdery drink out of it and tells them to drink it saying that this is a false God that you have been worshiping, and because of it, you have smashed the covenants. It has been broken. You are a stiff-necked people. Because of it, God has said, I'm not going to go into the promised land with you. If I did, I would kill you along the way. That's where the relationship has gotten just as soon as it started. Moses comes before this God and begs for mercy. Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 through 17. 
Moses said to the Lord, look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You've given me an angel, but we don't want an angel. You said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor with me. Verse 13, now if I've indeed found favor with you, please, please teach me your ways, and I will know you so that I might find favor with you. I want to know you more. I want to know your ways. Don't abandon us. Don't leave us. We want to know your ways. Now consider that this nation is your people. Verse 14, and he replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses continues to plead on behalf of the people. Notice how the language, it shifts here in verse 15. If your presence does not go If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us, not just me, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I am your people who have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. Moses, he pleads, he appeals to God's mercy. Please find us to be favorable with you. He asked for mercy to be forgiven in this moment so that the covenant can be restored. And what we see here is that God is a God who is merciful. We also see that God is a God of judgment, that he does not let sin just simply go. We see this in the next chapter as the covenant is, re- is restored. Chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. It says, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. We see the mercy of God. We see his love, his faithfulness, and his compassion towards his people. And then... It says, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. God, we don't want to go into the promised land without you. We need you. So would you be merciful towards us? And whatever you got to do so that you can go with us, do it. Be judge over sin and also be merciful and forgiving. It's a balance of both that God gives to his people. This is the covenant with Israel. Today, I'm thankful for the covenant that we have through Jesus as the church. Because in Jesus, both the mercy and justice of God is satisfied. That's why you and I can stand here today and we can sing about a God who has made himself known to his church. Because Jesus, he came and he was merciful by not treating us as our sins deserved, but instead gave himself, gave himself, gave his life, willingly gave his life in our place, dying for our sin. He received punishment on the cross for our sin. The justice of God, the places where we have messed up is fully satisfied on the cross. And in doing so, we also see the mercy of God. 
that we do not get treated how we deserve, but instead we get treated how Jesus deserves. That he is our righteousness that we stand in. We have even messed up before the Lord. We too are stiff-necked people. We too should be killed for our sin, destroyed for our sin. But Jesus stood in our place. This is pointing to the gospel, all of it. I want you to see this. This is the most beautiful moment, I think, in Exodus. And we see this just displaying Jesus in a mighty way. Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 through the end of the chapter. We see Moses ask the Lord, what seems like a rather odd question. He's pled with him, said, mercy, please, for us. We, can't, we don't want to go anywhere without you, so whatever you got to do, do it. And then, in verse 18, Moses said, let me see your glory. Isn't this interesting? Moses has already had many encounters with God. <laughs> He's already met him many times. He's been on the mountaintop with God. But there's something of God that he has not seen just yet. I want to see it. I want to see your glory. I want to see the fullness of it. Let me see it. Verse 19, we see the response. God said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim the name, the Lord, before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. Now, Hold on to that because there actually is an exception that we're going to get to in a moment where the full glory of the Lord is revealed to man. Verse 21, the Lord said, here is a place near me. You're to stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then I will take my hand away and you will see my back but my face will not be seen. God, I want to see your glory. I, I want to see you in your, the fullness of who you are. And God said, you can't, you can't. You end up dead if you do. But what I will do is I will I'll let you see the back part of me. Now, I, translating this, I don't exactly know what is going on here, what God is saying, the back part of me, right? It reads kind of, kind of in a, a strange way. We do know that whatever God is revealing in this moment of himself to Moses, it is more than he's seen before, although it's not the full picture of who God is in his glory. And so God's glory is revealed, and then God speaks to Moses for a little bit more, and then Moses comes down from the mountain at Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 34, verse 29 you want to follow along with me, you can turn there, Exodus 34, verse 29. As Moses descended from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the testimony in his hands, as he descended the mountain, he did not realize the skin on his face shone as a result of, who, of, of his speaking with the Lord. When he comes down from the mountain after seeing this, this back part of God, his face is glowing. He is shining bright. And when Aaron and the Israelites saw Moses, the skin 
of his face it shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he commanded them to do everything the Lord had told them on Mount Sinai. So he speaks to the people, and then in verse 33, when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Now, we don't know why here in Exodus, why Moses puts a veil over his face, but we do get to see why he does so as we look at 2 Corinthians. Moses comes down with his face glowing, and he speaks to the people there, and then he puts a veil over his face. Why? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, someone made me to help out back there on the computer. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I want you to see this, verse 13. Paul tells us what all of this is about, because it can get kind of confusing. Paul, help us understand what, what are we to think about this moment with Moses? What's all of this about? Verse 13, Paul says, we are not like Moses. He's not putting down Moses in any way. He is recognizing that we are in a new covenant with Christ in the church. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face. We just read about it. Why did he put a veil over his face? To prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. Moses, he put a veil over his face because the glory that was shining on his face had an end to it, and he didn't want the other Israelites to see it. That's what Paul said. He covered up his face because the glory had an end to it. He said, God, show me your glory. His face began to glow, but it only lasted for so long because there's coming a day when God's glory will be completely revealed, and that glory will last forever. You know this passage. I know we've been jumping, but I want you to see how beautiful this is. Matthew chapter 17. You know this passage because we talked about it before as we studied through Matthew. This is the mountain of transfiguration. This is Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. He, being Jesus, was transfigured in front of them, and his face did what? It shone like the sun. Sounds familiar? We're on a mountaintop again. There's a shining face. His clothes became as white as the light. Verse 3, who shows up? Moses! <laughs> Moses! He's there on top of this mountain of transfiguration in the Gospel of Matthew. Thousands of years later, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. I will set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Verse 5, while he was speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them. Where have we seen a cloud before? All over Exodus is how God showed up. A bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This, 
This is my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Moses asked God if he could see his glory. Thousands of years later, Moses gets to look at the face of God. Jesus himself, who is fully man and fully God. He's come in a way that we can look at God and not die. <laughs> there is an exception as Jesus comes and incarnates amongst us. This whole story, all of this, all of this glory is all about Jesus. It's all about him. This mountaintop experience that Moses requests to have with God is about Jesus. It's all about him. The glory that passes in front of him that, that he's only able to see the backside of is Jesus himself. It's all about him. I think this helps us in understanding our response to holy God. When it comes to our sin, because we too have worshiped falsely, we too have made idols and gone after them, we too have enjoyed things that, that we shouldn't have, we too have been easily satisfied with the trappings of this world. I, I think there's help from Moses in understanding what we are to do with our sin. We are to turn away and to look at the face of God. To look at Jesus, the one who has the full glory of God. Saying, God, I just want, I want to, to know you more. I want to see you more. I've, I've looked too long at my old way of life. I've looked too long at sin. I, I've been... I've enjoyed it too much. I want to enjoy you. God, show me your glory. Show me Jesus. I want to see you. I want to live an unveiled life where I see you for who you are. Today, if you feel like you're, you've come here with all kinds of burdens, all kinds of struggles, Maybe there's even some sin that you're even carrying in today. I want to encourage you to look to the face of Jesus. Look to the glory of God. He is the one that is merciful. He is the one that satisfies God's justice. He is the one that restores our relationship so that we can be with God always. As we think about the moment at graduation where we take that tassel and we move it from one side uh, to the next. It's that moment where it symbolizes that we have graduated from one place of learning to the next place of learning. God has made himself known to us, his church. And we never forget what we have learned about him, who he is, his character, his promises, his faithfulness. May we never forget those things that we have learned about him. Because God is calling us to walk in new seasons of life, 
trusting after him, and continuing to learn who he is and what he's about. My prayer for you and for me is that we would be a people that see who God is, a follow after him, and that we would never forget. I want to invite the band to come, and they're going to play. And um, as they do, I just have a few questions that, that I want to ask you. Let's give you time just to process a little bit. To think about what God has done for you. What God may be speaking to you about. First question I have for you. Where have you seen God's glory in your life? Where has God's glory shown up in your life? You want to substitute the word glory, maybe a little bit heady, a little bit big for us. Where have you seen Jesus show up in your life? How has he made himself known to you? Just listen to the Holy Spirit, let him speak to you this moment. Where have you seen the mercy of God show up in your life? How has he not treated you as your sins deserve, but instead put them upon the cross? Finally, what would it look like for you to just to radiate his glory, to radiate Jesus? What would it look like for you, to, for your face to just shine with the, the glory of Christ? God wants to be known. He's making himself known to you so that he can also be known through you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in him we have everything that we could ever hope for. He is the prize. He's much better than anything else that we could have ever hoped and dreamed of. We thank you for Christ. Your glory fully revealed in Jesus. We thank you that we get to know Jesus. We get to know God because of what Jesus has done. And we thank you that you have promised that you will always be with us because you have paid the price for sin. You have made a way for us to have new life. We thank you that we know because of that you will always be with us. We thank you, Lord, that we get to celebrate you even today.